Welcome to part two of my mansplaining. And I'm going to try to do as much manspreading as possible, too. Get my legs nice and far apart and just relax and tell it like it is. Patriarchal oppression at its finest. So, first of all, since podcast subscribers will be listening to this, even if this is available for people free who clicked on the link, and moving forward... My attempts will be, once the dust settles from all of these new wineskins being created, I'm going to try to get two podcasts per month moving forward, and also, I think that I'll probably add a part three sometimes, because oftentimes I go through a topic or a book, and I'm not able to cover everything I'd like, so I can always add a part three later that's just for subscribers, so nobody gets it for free, so there's an added bonus that only the subscribers who are paying are benefiting from, if you can see what I'm getting at. So that might be an option to get some extra content per month, but not necessarily creating a whole new episode and a part one that people are going to be able to listen to in the public sphere, and that would directly benefit anybody who's signed up. Because obviously, if the content production on my end for all of this Schism 206 stuff is not going to be able to sustain itself as I had been because before I was doing this basically full-time, all of my work efforts were put into this over the period of a year and a half. I began working on all this stuff around June, July 2019 and then released it all in early January this year. And so, now that I've seen where everything is at, it's just not going to sustain itself, so I need to figure out how to do it moving forward to keep the website going, pay all the costs, because it's actually quite expensive to keep the website and all the materials, the Podbean, um, the Dropbox, the uh, video hosting, along with all the costs for the website. I mean, it comes out to be somewhere between six and $800 a year, depending. So I got to pay that. And um, so I'm able to do that with what I got now, but if I'm not able to put out as much content as I was before, I don't know how many people will want to not sign up or whatever. I don't know if people care. But it needs to sustain itself somehow. So hopefully enough people support it that it will pay the bills and then maybe I get a little extra something from my effort. That would be nice. So I think all the foundations for what I'm doing moving forward with the audiobook narration, which is becoming the full-time endeavor, um, that should all be laid within the next month or so. And so hopefully by November I'll be back to consistently putting out two episodes per month, or I can space things out a bit better with the additional third part of episodes that only the paid people are getting. Um, So those are the people that would benefit from it, and that's the people that would want to benefit from it. And if at some point the podcast completely goes away, or I can be like, listen, I can't do it consistently anymore, maybe once every now and then I can't guarantee anything, then the people who are signed up for the $30 a year can opt out of that once it ends, Um, but I'll still have the $30 a year available on the Podbean if people come across it and they want to have access to all the second hours, but they don't necessarily want to sign up for a website plan that's going to cost a little bit more. So I have to balance all these different scenarios out with what's going to be the more normal scenario for most people and try to allow that to be uh, as fair as possible. And then the more unique circumstances based upon the way things have been set up Uh, I'll deal with them as they come and uh, just try to be upfront about 
the potential possibilities later that might happen if, you know, things get overwhelming and I can't continue the podcast at all. I don't know. We'll see. But for now, I'm planning on continuing it two episodes a month um, or finagling in a part three here or there, maybe doing like three part threes or something, um, but not doing uh, two new episodes or whatever. So I'll figure it all out, but I want to provide something that has a consistency once I get all these other things in order that I'm going through right now. So thanks for the patience for the people who have been supporting the podcast in whatever way for part two or the second hour. So moving on, I wanted to talk about the signs of the times because Christ called out the Pharisees or all of the Jewish people uh, for not understanding the spiritual climate, but being able to basically predict the weather climate. (laughs) So this is a passage I just read through recently, and it kind of made me laugh because people talk so much about the weather. You know, that's kind of like the go-to surface conversation that everybody has. And I'm not saying that I don't have a problem with people talking about the weather, but when it becomes the only thing you can relate to people with, then it's kind of a problem. And when that just becomes all there is and people make a bigger deal out of it than they need to, Well, you know, something's wrong with society, I would say. And now people don't even think about the idea of a spiritual climate. Uh, I think people intuitively know there's something going on with it because it's like buzz or vibes or what musicians abstractly talk about. Like when they're at a concert, it's like, yeah, we're bouncing our energy out. And then like the audience is bouncing it back like a tennis game. And it's just so magical, man. And I can make fun of that because I've been in that world that was part of my world for a long time, music talk or uh, musician speak, if you will. Um, so anyways, I understand the concept, but I think that the way people engage with it can be a bit absurd at times because it's neglecting a lot of other things and missing a lot of components that uh, I think are a lot more important. And so the idea of a spiritual battle or climate, um, I think that people with eyes to see and ears to hear can sense that going on now in a very heightened state. They may not define it the same exact ways I do, but I think most people in the alt media really get that now, or the people coming into it are coming into it because of that. They're sick of the materialistic explanation of things. So for the second part, I kind of want to just go through my own personal observations on this spiritual climate And how that relates to everything that I'm doing moving forward. So it's kind of like a little bit of a social commentary mixed in with my own personal reactions to it. And people can take that and, again, do what they wilt with it. And one last note I'd make, I guess, is that if people enjoy this type of podcast where I'm talking about, you know, society stuff, social commentary, my own views on it, and they actually like that and they prefer that sometimes over, you know, going over a book and summarizing things, I can do that. I just don't do it because I have this weird thing or penchant about, uh, you know, thinking that people are paying for a second hour to hear me do that. But if people like that, then I guess you can email me and let me know. But this is just, again, an off-the-cuff thing, and that's why this second hour is available for people. But, hey, I don't know. Uh, Different strokes. So throwing it out there, email me if uh, you enjoy this type of commentary. Um, over, you know, the research stuff or would prefer a blend of it, I can take it into consideration if enough people 
have an opinion on it. So that aside, I think that right now, and I've explained this before recently and on different shows that I've been on, I think that the spiritual climate is very much like the first few centuries AD um, of the early Christianity and that all being formed. Obviously, there's a lot of variations to that and a different set of clothing, but I think they're the same bodies. It's just that certain bodies have a bit more power and sway than others back then. Um, And, you know, you got to rearrange some things on the Rubik's Cube, but it's the same Rubik's Cube and it's the same colors. They're just kind of reordered a little bit differently. Um, But a lot of people might not notice that it's the same things at play. That's my opinion. And so what happened out of all of this chaos in the first few centuries? Well, there was a Catholic order out of pagan persecution and destruction, uh, along with particular factions of Judaism trying to manipulate all that to their advantage. And it didn't really work out so well. And I think you can see a microcosm of this in different times throughout history. I think that the World War II events also reflect a lot of this. But nonetheless, you basically have a Catholic order coming out of pagan persecution and destruction in a more defined way um, back during these early times of Christianity. So, what's the difference now? Well, we have a sort of Sadducee-like Catholic movement where, uh, if you recall, we've talked about in the Sadducees before, um, in occult Catholicism in the Day of Rest series, You know, they're like the ones who want to adhere to some tradition of religion in a very broad and kind of secular sense. It's like, oh, we are Jews, um, but we don't really believe in God or the afterlife, right? This is Christ's dispute with them over, you know, the the woman with the husbands in heaven and the resurrection, right? Um, And I see this in Catholicism now where... You have that secular social justice version that really doesn't seem to believe in anything spiritual and anything that goes with that, right? The idea of heaven, hell, angels, demons, presence of the Eucharist, etc. And that big scary viruses are much more scary than the idea of, you know, dying in mortal sin or anything like that, right? Um, That's one Faction, And then you have this Gnosticism that goes with it and is infiltrating the church. Um, there's a lot of things that people like Father James Martin state that sound very Gnostic. Uh, the idea that ignorance is the problem in the world and uh, lack of social justice, um, which is always tied with, you know, uh, everyone else is ignorant, right? So you have to have this gnosis to be woke <laughs> and so on. Um Instead of, you know, bad behavior or sinful behavior, and then that results in a punishment, well, that's just not possible because that's not how God works. I mean, this is the type of stuff that he says. Um, That's how the Gnostics view things. Uh, If you go to the Gnosis.org website, the one that houses the Nagamani texts online for free and is tied to UNESCO and all that stuff that we went over in occult Catholicism, they define Gnosticism on, I think, one of their front pages, and it's basically that. Um, So it's basically the type of stuff that James Martin says. 
And I've witnessed this personally infiltrating where my lady was going through RCIA and I was present at some of the meetings and boy, it was not at all what I expected it to be where they're teaching that maybe Jesus and Mary Magdalene were married. I mean, they're not even given the correct historical Gnosticism. They're given the conspiracy theory, 1970s, Holy Grail version that comes out of the Da Vinci code in Hollywood. So <laughs> you have that. And then they're saying we need to be more like the Protestant churches, more tolerant. Uh, we need to listen to the Protestants and that the gospel of Thomas is amazing. Yet we're all feminists here. We're uh, trying to empower women. And then I brought up that the gospel of Thomas says that women aren't worthy of life very conveniently at the very end of it. And no one wanted to talk about that. They wanted to talk about how Paul was a misogynist. <laughs> <laughs> because he said that women can't be leaders in the church, whereas you have the Gospel of Thomas saying they're not worthy of life, and somehow Paul is much worse than that. I don't even have the words to describe how I felt trying to say, hey, you guys are setting a standard that you're all about the empowerment of women and not having patriarchal oppressors, yet you're promoting the Gnostic Gospel that says women aren't worthy of life. But then they say, well, no, we just want to focus on positive things. Let's not worry about that negative stuff. And all those Gnostics had a lot of great things to say. It's like, well, yeah, if you go through the Gospel of Thomas, there's stuff that, you know, you can find similar passages in the New Testament. But does it add anything? It's just a rehash and a random uh, compilation with a mic drop at the very end saying that women are worthy of life. And somehow the rock of Peter is the one saying this and... Christ says, well, the solution is make them transgender. People can spin that in their way. They're, he's talking about, oh, he's talking about an inner gnosis and androgyny. Sure, whatever. Say what you'd like, but <laughs> I think it's Stockholm Syndrome. So you have that infiltration going on. Um, and of course, they're all about building bridges, except for when it came to Donald Trump. For some reason, trying to say, well, Donald Trump is supporting this thing that's Catholic. Why can't we focus on that and build a bridge? No, no, no. He's doing it to lie and be deceptive and he rapes girls and whatever it is. I mean, I, I don't even I don't even know what to say. The boomer church. Um, and that's all the generation of the people who were saying this. So um, very frustrating. And you see that happening. So there's like the Sadducee Catholics that sort of mixed in with some of that Gnostic stuff or being acceptable uh, in those circles. And then you have the Jews trying to control the leaders or the pagan emperors. Um, and these pagan emperors want to keep their materialistic hegemony as well. So you have the Obamas, who kind of represent, in my opinion, the pederasty Greek liberal regime. And then the Trumps, who kind of represent that Roman order regime. Uh, and then you have different factions of Jews trying to control them both, whether they're the original uh, Sadducee Jews who are just manifesting in a different way today, or the ones that you can see with the new Israel infiltrating the church and all, all unified on hating Donald Trump, right? There's that faction. And then there's the Pharisees type faction where there's like the Zionists and obviously they're much more uh, of the courting ilk to Donald Trump and, you know, supporting Israel uh, and all that stuff, right? So you have all these forces trying to control the pagan Roman emperors of 
uh, America, the American presidency. And it's really interesting that, as far as I understand, the founding of America is based upon those two polarities. We have a Masonic liberalism and deism that's going to progress into all the things that we see today. And then we have that sort of Protestant Judaizing with the Puritans and this idea of, you know, being a little overly obsessed with the Old Testament, viewing yourself as the successors of that, where like the Israelites dealing with the Amalekites or whatever, and that's going to justify us, you know, messing up the Indians. I'm not saying they all did that, but when you don't have a centralized authority, who's to say that that's wrong and there's different Protestant factions that are going to go a little witch hunty. Some might be actually really stand-up noble factions, but that's the point. It's all split, and they all are kind of equal to each other, and they just battle but they all reject the Catholic Church, right? So no matter what, there is an anti-Catholicism built into America. I think that it's really hard to argue otherwise if people are being honest about it. Um, and it's coming from the WASP Masonic Alliance, right? And then Judaism gets intermingled with that where there's a lot of anti-Judaism in the early colonies, but eventually that becomes a lot more tolerant um, and the Masons had a lot to do with that. I mentioned how James Oglethorpe, one of the Masons founding, uh, I think Solomon's Lodge in Georgia, that was one of the first lodges that allowed Judaism, but it still said no to Catholicism. So basically it was any religion, but Catholicism. That was kind of, in my opinion, what was going on in early America. And then you have the first Sadducee Catholics with the Carroll family who, uh, the true, truer Catholics, I would say in Canada, uh, well, they had some beef with the Carroll family being intermingled with the Wasp regime and, you know, Ben Franklin and all those guys, right? So it's not like this battle is new. It's just a bit more hidden. Um, and if you understand the players and the ordering of it, you see it repeating all the time. There's always exceptions to rules, but there's a general um, pattern to it all. So in my opinion, nowadays... Pagan Rome is falling apart. The new Rome is falling apart. And surprise, surprise, there are Jewish factions trying to use it to persecute Christians, such as orchestrating events in St. Louis to take down the statue of a Catholic saint who happened to burn the Talmud. And he owned no slaves, so why are they attacking that? And then you find out there is a Judaizing force behind that. We also have the Notre Dame fires where a rabbi came out and said that 777 years ago, the Talmudic lady was burning because the French kings burned their Sophia, their wisdom. And now it's righteous and just that the Catholic lady, Notre Dame, our lady, right, burns. Now I'd ask, it's 777 years, setting aside any Kabbalistic weirdness to that number, can't you just get over it? I mean, there's no forgiveness. Whereas Catholicism is based upon that. So does that show a logos to the mindset of the Jews and the general mindset of Christianity and Catholicism? Now, I'm not saying that Catholics can't hold grudges over history, but that's not generally part of the culture. You know, they're kind of over pagan Rome 
Uh, and now that that's been brought back, are there reparations being asked for like, oh, okay, listen, United States of America and your pagan Roman Republic, can you give us reparations for what your tradition did way back to us in uh, 100 AD or before? Uh, no. And then this kind of happens with like Eastern Orthodox and the Fourth Crusade. And I'm not saying they all do this, but there's a kind of a predominance of this that happens where they get really emotional about the fourth crusade, which happened, I don't know, like 800 years ago. It's just like, get over it. And I think that their version of that history of it is completely skewed. And the Pope did not order the crusade to go attack Constantinople. There's just a bunch of crap that kind of gets promoted in it. I'm not saying that there aren't honest ones that don't do that, but you encounter it a lot. Um, and that's even worse because it's supposed to be about forgiveness in Christianity, East or West. Um, and so you see all these issues. And that's similar to people complaining about the Inquisition. I mean, that was hundreds of years ago. And again, the official stats is maybe three to 5,000 were executed over hundreds of years. It averages out to be like 12 per year. They're complaining about that. And in the Catholic RCIA, they're complaining about that too. How it's not a threat. There's no inquisition of Catholicism today that has any resemblance of that. And yet people are still emotionally freaking out over that sometimes and they, they get triggered, right? And why don't they get triggered by the world wars that are started by enlightenment regimes and principles and what Darwinism did for the young Turks or, you know, uh, the uh, British... Uh, social Darwinism's version of their passive oppression and racism versus the more active one of Germania. So, you know, c'est la vie, right? But the question is, if there is a creator, how does he view all of these things? And can we gain some insights and see some patterns throughout history? And I'd say that those regimes that are spreading all that propaganda and being unforgiving... Uh, well, woe to them, I'd say, in history. And I think we're seeing that happening today, unfortunately. And as I've mentioned before in the New World Order Astrology series and also the end of occult Catholicism, it's very strange how I had mentioned that, you know, in early 2020, uh, right when the conjunction of Saturn and uh, Pluto happened, which is the end of the 9-11 cycle, uh, because 9-11 was the opposition of those planets. And look what happened. And, you know, it's basically pointing out that in early 2020, around January, they're going to complete that cycle with a conjunction. And maybe there will be some, you know, stuff hitting the fan during that time. I don't know. I can't say for sure. But if there's any patterns to this and New World Order shenanigans, then there might be something happening. And lo and behold, we have... <laughs> The new 9-11 with the Corona 1984 lockdown beginning right around that time. But is that just the impersonal forces of cosmos, like the Masonic or kind of New Agey view might be? Or is there an element of God using those things as patterns that he's not bound to, but can engage with them and uh, use them as cycles of judgment that people can observe? Is that similar to Christ talking about the weather and the physical weather? And then maybe there's a spiritual climate 
that you can make some general broad predictions and you're not always right. And as long as you don't say dogmatically this will or won't happen, is it quote unquote kosher to at least say that and give a little bit of a broad warning, but you don't want to be too apocalyptic about it. You don't want to be scaring the crap out of people, right? And so is that something interesting about the spiritual climate? And that obviously has been happening. So I find that very strange in conjunction with, no pun intended, uh, some of the stuff that we had been previously over. And I had been mentioning that from, you know, the general astrological extrapolations, you know, and you apply that to the Catholic understanding of history. Well, it would really be that America would be under judgment. 1776, right? That's when the cycle started. Um, so are the principles, the foundational values of the second house of America being judged right now? And what is judgment and fire in the Catholic context? There's a purification element. There's the actual judgment element where things get burnt up that are false. And then there's the divine fire of God. That's truth and love. And for some reason, they're all the same unity, but we perceive them in vastly different ways, right? So is that what is happening here, where we're all witnessing the same events, but we're perceiving them and interpreting them in very different ways. And it goes to show you that the interpretation really does matter as much as a lot of Protestants will try to tell you that it doesn't or that you can figure it out on your own and that... You know, it's really just the data of scripture alone that matters. And the interpretations will just kind of happen, right? Well, I'd say that we are witnessing the product of that type of thinking that started with the Reformation that led to the Enlightenment, faith alone versus the dialectic of reason alone. And America is kind of a mixture of that, right? The the Protestant culture mixed with the Masonic culture, and we're seeing the result. And the result is anti-Catholic, and it's turned into a bunch of crazy SJWs. And some people saying, well, we want to go back to 50 years ago, where we still have the same principles, but it never went to the level it is now, because this isn't what the founding fathers intended. Well, there's a difference between what you intend and what is the reality, especially in God's eyes. And so is that similar to the Reformation and all the intentions that people may or may not have had, uh, and then the reality of what ended up happening? So, is that part of this divine judgment we're seeing? And in my opinion, the people who are going to be burnt by this fire and confused, well, they're going to be looking for explanations. Now, will they like the explanations they get? And through our free will, will they choose to believe one or the other, that's all up to the individual. But I personally think that the Catholic history, along with everything else in the tradition that isn't tainted by Gnostic corruptions in some very overt fashion, I'm not saying there can't be little venial issues where people stray a little bit too much into these other waters that maybe they shouldn't be, but as long as they're not outside the basic core things, I can accept that. Right, mortal versus venial issues in, in doctrine and what you promote as actual Catholicism. So, my point would be, I think that the history via people like Charles Colomb, uh, stuff that's going on on Tim Flanders' channel, Meaning of Catholic, 
Ryan Grant, Mediatrix Press, E. Michael Jones, etc. There's all kinds of people. Well, these answers and explanations really make a lot more sense, in my opinion, than anything else out there. And it's going to make a lot more sense to more people moving forward. And you already see that happening. There's kind of like this resurgence of old world Christendom on some level. And I see it personally in people being at Latin Mass over the lockdown versus the people in the Novus Ordo. It's almost like things are being weeded out. And it's against our will. It's just happening. Um, And the Latin Mass types that still think the Novus Ordo is valid, they're not going to go all set of a contest. But at the same time, they will address the tough issues. They'll even usually talk about things like Jewish power, um, but in a very charitable way. And those are the ones that seem to be standing the tests of these fires, if you will. And a lot of the Novus Ordo ones, not all of them, but I'm saying the predominance of them seem to be having a lot more problems with attendance and then people fearing the virus more than the wrath of God or anything of that attached to the afterlife. And then you have another group of people doubling down on science and science is failing them because all of these so-called reason and logic that's being promoted as what we need to do from the scientific community is absurd and probably has a darker agenda behind it and just doesn't make any sense in those very elephant-in-the-room, Forrest Gump, that-ain't-rot kind of way that any idiot could understand and see the emperor has no clothes, right? So they're doubling down on that delusion, and they are lashing out at anything and everything that even remotely questions the scientism establishment And it's quite amazing to look at the, I would call, demonic behavior coming out of the people who are overly obsessive about listening to the gods of science. And I also find that all of the false idols, if you will, again, looking at it from the Catholic perspective, are being exposed and destroyed. Whereas now... You have rock stars who are normally on stage with all of their glitz and glam and makeup. They get the right lighting so they look like immortal gods and they have all this androgynous weirdness going on. You know, the Lucifer Venus stuff we talked about in occult science. Well, now they're forced to be inside in their living room just like everybody else. And they're in their PJs on their couch trying to be like, oh, we're going to heal the world with my crappy song that I wrote 30 years ago. You know, Rob Thomas is going to sing 3 a.m. in his pajamas at 3 a.m. He'd be like, don't worry, guys. Like, everything's going to be cool. Like, we're musicians. We heal the world. And everyone's looking at them. And it's like, you look like a gross old aged rock star who is powerless in this moment because you don't have any of your glitz and glamour and makeup on. And you're just sitting there with your stupid acoustic guitar like the 1960s was all about and you see infiltrating into the acoustic Our Father songs and Novus Ordo Masses. <laughs> and it looks really weak and feeble, in my opinion. And I didn't mean to pick so much on Rob Thomas. There's a lot worse rock stars out there, I think. Uh, but he just the one that popped into my head. And so <laughs> you look at them in this state and what they're trying to provide is a shell of what it once was. And they're trying to act like it's still the same in terms of healing the world and we'll get through this and all this stuff. Meanwhile, people have no jobs. They don't know what to do. They're terrified of everything. Their business might be lost by 
so-called protesters. And it's like, oh, yeah, my song and my jammies is going to help you through this. Do you see how the false idols are just being completely exposed? Now, some people might double down on that delusion, and they might really believe that the 3 a.m. song they hear on YouTube with Rob Thomas and his jammies is going to be helpful for them. But is that kind of like the new age juice that you go into your yoga retreat, you come out, you feel okay for a bit, but then you have all the same problems. And then think about sports, right? Professional sports now, it's like that no athletes will play a game unless we do some big Black Lives Matter dance at the beginning uh, of every quarter in a basketball game. (laughs) And then calling people like that Luca guy, the bitch ass white boy or whatever. Which is really ironic because the NBA is predominantly black. So where is the white privilege in the NBA? I mean, that's just absolutely silly to me under their own standards of measurement. I'm not saying I really care at all. And I haven't watched professional sports in years except for maybe a boxing match. Um, And I watch sometimes the World Cup. But I, I just basketball, NFL, all that stuff, Just it's just so absurd. Uh, and I just prefer to boycott it at this point. And, um, but the point is, you know, you, you play games where there's half the people in the audience. If they even let people in the audience, sometimes they'll propose playing games with an empty stadium. And it's like everything that mesmerized people before and locked them into this, you know, pagan idolatry of the Olympian games, if you will. Well, now it's like, a shell of what it was and everybody's lives are being destroyed by all this crap. And then they're doubling down on that stuff and promoting that stuff that is destroying their lives. Like the whole black lives matter crap. So how long is that going to sustain itself? Are they shooting themselves in the foot Are all of these idols of sports worship and rock stars, whether you want to be the Mars warrior, like the Roman gladiators, or you're more of the, Greek pederasty culture where you don't have any real morality uh, and it's all about music man and abstract things, whichever polarity you're on, right? Whether you're the, uh, the hippie at college with the Bob Marley poster and the fish or whatever, uh, Grateful Dead poster, or you're the frat boy guy with the Jim Belushi guzzle and the whiskey You know, whichever side of that pagan coin you're on, all of those idols are being destroyed right now. The emperor has no clothes, and none of that stuff is really making anybody feel any better, but they're still trying to force these old things that are completely irrelevant to our lives, but were great distractions when people put them on these pedestals of idolatry. I'm not saying that playing sports or music is bad. Of course not. But the level that those things get deified and the types of people that get put in those positions of, you know, the gods, usually their lives are a mess and they're completely lacking in any sort of morality or accountability on the whole. Some of them probably are able to lead a lot more wholesome lives than most people, but are those the people that are propped up? And they're all seen as equal with the others. And that's my point about the original Protestant sects in the United States, some probably a lot more moral than others, and some did crazy, were the Old Testament Israelites genociding Indians. But the point is, those are all seen as kind of equal, like who's to say what one's better or not, 
Um, but we're all anti-Rome and that authority that's going to tell us what's the right morality or the right doctrine, right? So my point is with everything going on, is all of this, in my opinion, proving the falsity of the Enlightenment and the Reformation and the fruits of it, because that's what's dominating. This is what it's all evolved into, and it's all been historically anti-Catholic and continues to be in many ways, except for when people like Donald Trump will tweet out Archbishop Vigano and Taylor Marshall in a favorable light, even if he's doing it pragmatically. Very strange that that to me is unprecedented to give a platform to that type of Catholicism uh, on such a massive scale. And perhaps is that intermingled with all of the danger and the demonic reactions to Donald Trump, whether he knows it or not. I think he's just someone up there being used by higher forces and he's just doing what he does. And I'm not making an idol out of that either. And I don't think anybody else should. You know, there's things to be concerned about. I don't know what his viewpoint ultimately will be on, like, the vaccine stuff. Uh, there's some concerns there and obviously Zionist stuff. But it's a hell of a lot better than the leftist degeneracy and all this other crazy crap and the other regimes that, you know, are going to be far more uh, demonic, if you will. Now, I'm not saying there can't be dialectics involved, but it is interesting how the old... Republican regimes that were supposedly against the Democrats also did their own little alliance against Trump as well. So, you know, I'm not a political analyst, but I think that those things are broadly uh, interesting in conjunction with all of this other stuff. And I'm not an expert in all that, so I'm not going to elaborate on that anymore. Uh, For me, it's more about these general archetypes and putting them in the context of other history that I understand. And it's very interesting what shakes out. And so lastly, to relate to the battles in early Christianity, especially during the times of Christ being alive, you had the Pharisees persecuting their own, basically, right? They're supposed to be the Jewish leaders. um, But people are adhering to Christ as Messiah or everything that goes with the newly found Christian doctrine and the worst persecutors are the Pharisee castes and the Jews. So is that similar to today, where the worst persecutors of the Catholic Church are the Catholics themselves, the Sadducee Catholics and the bishops who are going along with everything? And, you know, what would be traditionally known as the Pharisees, the ones that are elitist and uppity and saying, oh, if anybody's not obeying the Catholic morality, they're just filth, Right. The extreme traditionalism, I don't see that being nearly as much of a problem right now. It's basically a Sadducees type problem of succumbing to the world. And if people want to get cranky about the SSPX within Catholic circles, um, different people that I like and enjoy uh, otherwise have a little bit of a emotional angst towards the SSPX Society, and the objective data about if they're in schism or not, they tend to ignore that. And I'm not going to fault them for that. That, to me, is such a minor battle compared to everything else going on. And I don't suggest that anybody in a traditional Catholic, uh, you know, movement or sect or mindset 
gets too upset about those things unless it's a direct issue that involves, you know, defending a, a priest over false accusations or anything like crazy like that. But on the whole, if that's just something on your radar, I wouldn't worry as much about that than the other things. Um, but nonetheless, uh, to quote, I believe it's Pius X, modernism is the synthesis of all heresies. So in my opinion, you see the synthesis of all these different groups throughout the ages against Catholicism, the Pharisees, Sadducees, Gnostics, uh, going on to later, you know, the Protestants, the Masons, and then the different Jewish factions that intermingle with all that. And all the dialectics, it's all kind of synthesized in modernism. It really is. I mean, Zionist Israel, in my opinion, is a lot less about religion and more about, you know, political stuff that people sprinkled religion on. So it's basically modernist pragmatism in a lot of ways. As far as I understand, I'm not an expert on it, but I've done enough reading to see that there seems to be more political stuff than religious stuff, but they fool the profane with religious stuff like Christian Zionism or, you know, different Jews that might want to adhere to religion. Um, just like anything else, not trying to pick only on Jewish factions. I'm just saying that that's an example that demonstrates it well. So it's not that across the board with, Jews, Masons, Protestants, Catholics, or even Orthodox or Muslims. I'm not saying that there's broad things and dialectics that, uh, you know, ex apply only to one group or the other. They apply across the board. But within those dialectics and within those broad themes and within people obeying morality and, and objective standards of God and whatever, is there still another unique narrative that separates those groups from each other in a more distinct way? And I think that the way that the Catholic Church is separated is much more in accordance with how I understand Old Testament Israel and then what the church claims to be. So that is my opinion on why it is the solution that stands out as the truth amongst these things. People can disagree with that, obviously, and I'm sure a lot of my listeners do. But nonetheless, that's the point about your own conscience and you deciding during this crazy time, what is truth? What is the reality? Even if it's ugly, even if you've been attached to false things your entire life, is that all crumbling now? And we all have to make a decision about what's the right way to go. And that is the blessing and curse of free will. And so with that spiritual climate analysis or change in mind, maybe that's the real climate change. I'll just wrap up on, again, my own conscience and what I'm doing with this. And that obviously is affecting all of the research I do and the website and the channel. And so that's the reason I wanted to, I guess, do this. It's not just about me doing something. Um, and it's more about this is my personal response to all of these things going on and my viewpoint on it. And maybe that's useful for some people. I don't know. But I find myself being much more of the mindset of people like Charles Cologne, Tim Flanders, Ryan Grant, and of course people like E. Michael Jones or even Taylor Marshall. There's a lot of people. I don't agree with everything all these people say, but there's certain ones that I find that I'm really much more locked into, and those are more of the uh, former I mentioned, and also the folks at Reason and Theology. And so... Some of the stuff that I've done in the Schism 206 conspiracy world can overlap with that, but there's a certain amount that doesn't always, or it needs to be kind of put in its place. And 
that's what I'm kind of moving away from. And I want to support the people that I think are reaching more people during this tumultuous time and climate and have a potential to reach more, much more so than anything I could ever do in my own personal research, going through a bunch of details about esoteric stuff that only a very few small minority, select few, if you will, will care about. And I don't even mean that in any sort of elitist way. Uh, that wouldn't be my first choice to encourage anybody to look at any of that stuff. It's just that there's certain people that are just wired for that, more or less, but there's also a lot of dangers involved, even if you are wired for that, which I feel like I've succumbed to to varying degrees throughout my course of this journey. So that is why I have an opportunity to support more and more actively, and that is why all of the more esoteric stuff is going to be a bit more hidden for the <laughs> select few, if you will. And so I wanted to wrap up on a broad analogy that I think gets the point across. And that's what I'm trying to do moving forward a bit more too, is give more analogies for things because I think that people um, need that. It's a useful way to explain things. And you see Christ doing parables and then having these uh, allegories or symbols attached um, to different types of people. And, you know, it's very akin to psychological and sociological analysis mixed with a spiritual understanding and then applying it in that archetypal way that most people enjoy and resonate with. And I think that's why people fall into masonry because they get obsessed with the idea of archetypes. There's a truth there. There's a typology that's true, but the way they engage in that becomes this you know, oneness soup that has little practical value or defined meaning and lends towards subjectivity and enabling bad things to happen. And that's why I like the Catholic viewpoint. It uses all that stuff, but it gives you clearer definitions. You might not like the definitions, but if you plug those definitions into the matrix of how things work in your own life and the greater world at large, I think that it explains things to a T in most cases. And the times that you're still left wondering or wanting. They're much more peripheral things in life. Now, that's just me, but in being honest with my life, that's just what happens. That's just the truth of the matter. I don't like that truth a lot of times. It's actually very difficult to reconcile with that. But if that's the way it is, that's the way it is, and I'll accept that. But sometimes people don't like those clearer definitions and they still think, well, how do we really know this or that? I understand that mindset completely. That used to be my default mindset on everything. But in my opinion, that hits an ugly truth that you're just lost in this maze of abstractness. And there's some definition, but it's not enough to actually give you some sort of sustenance and stability in your life when things really get tough especially <laughs> with situations like now where things are really getting tough for a lot of people. And I think it's more psychologically and emotionally that's getting tough than materially at this point. And hopefully it doesn't turn into a horrible material disaster where people don't have food and it's the Alex Jones apocalypse version on uh, economic collapse. Uh, I would really hope and pray that that's not the case, but uh, there's enough going on with the psychological collapse and, and the soul collapse that is much more dangerous anyways, as Christ instructs, you know, having the body uh, be attacked by 
men or things of man, that pales into comparison to your soul and what, uh, you know, all of these errors have led to spiritually, especially at the end of your life. So, I have many more analogies in mind that maybe I'd give at some point. I don't know if it's going to be through Schism 206 stuff, maybe someday in the new channel. I don't know, but it's kind of something that I've been trying to think about doing more of, and I like it, and I think it's useful. And they're not always perfect analogies, but I think it gets enough of the point across. So, here we go. I'm going to give my uh, Catholic Alaska analogy for the stuff that I do on my website and my channel and the types of people who might have some sort of resonance with it over the years and and the people that are obviously subscribed to it because they enjoy it enough there's something in it that uh is useful to them and i'm trying to again go uh dark on the public content because i think that some people think this information is useful but it actually ends up hurting their life or enabling bad things and i wanted to prevent that but i also still want to allow all this information for the people who it can be more useful for that might lead to a, a conversion or a better heart or uh, making better decisions. And like with anything, it's the same information people look at, but people choose to engage with it different ways. But you also have to understand what are the most prominent types of people out there. Um, they're the ones that aren't going to need to know any of this esoteric crap. They don't need to know the inner machinations of the French Revolution or Kabbalah surrounding the JFK assassination. Most people don't need that, and I wouldn't ask them to. I wouldn't be arrogant enough to say, oh, everyone needs to know this secret gnosis that I'm throwing out there and analyzing in order to understand what's really going on. I don't want to have that stupid truth or mindset that is just this, uh, what would you call it, uh, this infesting thing that leads to elitism and all the things I talked about in the first hour that violate that vice of curiosity. Um, but at the same time, is some of that deeper stuff necessary for, like I said, a select amount of people? And so that's why I'll keep it going as long as there's enough people who enjoy it. And really, ultimately, before I get to the analogy, this is what it is. This is my personal research. This is me going through this stuff for my own reasons and sharing it with people. And so it makes sense to me why this isn't going to become anything more than this small website. Um, because I'm just doing something and sharing it and enough people enjoy that. And that's great. And I feel happy about it. Um, but that's really all people are getting. I read books. I'm not a scholar. I'm somebody who takes what scholars do and tries to rearrange it in a way that might be accessible to certain people and help them understand some of that stuff that they might be able to understand just fine if they read the books, but they just don't have time to do all that stuff. And since I've gotten a lot more adept, if you will, uh, at reading things and finding sources that are, you know, more relevant to this or that, um, I'm able to do it. And so I try to do it. And if enough people respond to that and like it, then that's why you're here. Right. Um, so that's what I'm doing. And I don't want to make that information be like super expensive or anything. In order to, <laughs> you know, having tried to attempt to make this some sort of job, just to see what would happen, right? I had to at least give it a shot. Everything was set up. The dominoes were set up. I knocked it over to see what happens. Well, it turned out to be, you know, a plateau on the amount of people that signed up, and that's okay. Um, so now where do I go with it? I want to continue doing it. 
but I have to do it in conjunction with these primary things and the sign of the times, the spiritual climate, and the greater good that I can do by supporting those other figures I talked about and withdrawing my own stuff. So, you know, every Sunday uh, I go through the New Testament because I need to know these things. So I go through it in depth and I share it on the Whiteboard Dave Rest series. If people want to share in that and that will be useful, they want to kind of peek in on a personal study and what's being reflected is relatable to them and helpful, well, that's why it's in the initiate plan now. A dollar a month, you get that, right? If people want to go through a more advanced study of things like Barwell's memoirs or all the things that, you know, go along with what I'm doing in the history research and applying it to all the things I do, well, that's there. It's not overly expensive, six bucks a month, and I'm going to try to produce one of the long series per year. Um, that's my goal. And, uh, you know, I'll figure out where that's going to come in. Uh, and, you know, that's kind of what you're getting there along with the second hour podcast. So this is giving you the esoteric history version. And some people aren't going to need that um, or like that. And that's fine. Some people will. And then the Catholic Alchemist, I will be finishing that up at some point. Maybe it's something I'll add videos to here or there, but that's to help people who are into occultism and they're, they've been attached to it. They've been tarot card reading. It's hard to get away from that. They've been into astrology. They don't want to get rid of that. But maybe they see some value in Christianity and some truth in it, but they don't quite know how to stop those old vices or properly ordering them without getting out of those kind of uh, ingrained practices, right? So think about it like, uh, I don't want to say vaping, because I'm not saying vaping is, I don't know. I don't know much about vaping. Some people criticize it or whatever. I'm just saying that the idea of that is giving you the motion of something, but giving you a better alternative. Um, and so if the Catholic Alchemist series can help people with that, where if they look at astrology, but they use a Catholic lens and they use the restrictions of Catholicism and Thomas Aquinas, maybe that would eventually lead them to a better place. Um, but all that stuff is no substitute for all the important things, right? But some people might need that as the bridge or the vehicle to get them over there. Um, and at the least, I think it would lead to better fruits than what's going to happen when people are doing kind of Jungian tarot astrology stuff or whatever. So that's there for that, for the 10 people on the planet who might need that. And that one's going to be wrapping up once we're done the Zodiac and a couple, you know, finalized videos, and then I can move on from that and not have that taking up my time. But ultimately, from my own personal, uh, you know, knowledge and being able to help argue for things when they come up, because that just seems to happen nowadays when I start talking with people, like on my most recent interviews with people like John Brisson or Zach and Ken, um, you know, when you're dealing with Protestants, Usually the debates come up that you got to be able to deal with all that stuff. And so, you know, if I've been confirmed in the Catholic Church and I actually read from like the Council of Trent what confirmation really is versus what I understood it to be when I was, you know, whatever, 16 years old, it's a very different thing. So I feel like I kind of got to be prepared for that. I have an obligation to know these things, but not everybody necessarily has that based upon their situation. So you are basically able to benefit in a 
peripheral way or a secondary way from me learning all these things and I'm going to share them because this work of me writing down things on a whiteboard or making slides, that's like the busy work that helps you understand things. If I look back to when I was in school, you know, when I wrote things down, you, you remember them better. So a lot of this is helping me create all this stuff and I'm getting enough support to at least have the time to do it. Um, moving forward if people enjoy it and want to continue uh, supporting it with a membership. So much appreciated, and that's really what it is, the the genie's out of the bag. That's the wizard behind the curtain. I'm just a dude in his room reading, researching for a personal purpose that I think uh, is my duty in regards to the grander spiritual climate. And uh, it's not the primary thing, though, that's of importance in my life. So... If that resonates with people, people enjoy it and they want to continue supporting that, then it's there. If it just kind of goes away, maybe the website will die. This stuff will just get lost in the annals of uh, esoteric history online. I don't know, but uh, it will be what it will be. So let's wrap up on the Alaska analogy and the analogy I want to give of the United States representing the Catholic Church, which is a grand irony because of its historical anti-Catholicism. But if we look at the Roman beast, well, what ended up happening is it became the Holy Roman Empire. That's, in my opinion, the ways of God, not man. God takes the most horrible beast, the horrible satanic force, and is actually able to turn it in to his universal kingdom that Christ was preaching about along with the apostles. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. So I see a lot of those same things going on now. And if I apply that to how God works historically, or at least from my viewpoint, God moves through human history. So you analyze it as part of God's will. And I think you can find distinct patterns. They're not always those patterns that will be tried and true 100%. God is not bound to those patterns. But you can make some general predictions and, you know, read the signs of the spiritual climate in a much more. Uh, what would I call it, prudent fashion, even if it doesn't go the way you planned, at least you had a plan. That's my point. If you see a hurricane coming, you get ready for the hurricane. You hope that the hurricane doesn't come, but if it's there, at least you're prepared. Or if you see a nice day coming, you prepare to go out and do your work that you need to do on the nice day. But maybe a crazy thunderstorm will come along out of the blue that you didn't expect, but you know, Eight, nine times out of ten, it's going to happen the way that it usually does if you know how to read the weather or the climate, if you will. So that to me is what prophets were uh, throughout the ages of the Old Testament and in the church. They could read those signs because that was a grace from God and, you know, did it come true or not? And you didn't make too specific of a prediction um, because... You don't want to play God, but at the same time, there's a way you deal with what becomes a truth and looking at it in retrospect. So that's how I view so much of this stuff and tying in some of the astrology to it as well. So America, Catholic America. Let's say that the borders of America represent the Catholic Church. And you have all these different states that are very different from each other more often than not. And some of them are more similar, but some of them are very distinct. And this is why I want to give the analogy of Alaska <laughs> being like the state that my YouTube content and website resides in. 
And not everyone can live in Alaska. But just because you don't live in Alaska, does that not mean you aren't part of the United States? You're not in the church, right? And at the same time, Alaska has a lot of wilderness around that you could easily wander beyond its borders into Canada, which is going to be an analogy for, I guess, SJW hell. <laughs> because literally right now, that's what it actually seems to be more of, even though that's ironically, historically more Catholic. Or on the southern side, Mexico. So we're kind of inverting it here. The traditionally Catholic nations of Mexico and Canada are now <laughs> the ones that represent the darkness and that uh, anti-Catholic wasp Masonic America, now Judaized America, will be the future vision of the borders of the church. So again, not practical in reality, but practical in analogy. And then you have places like Puerto Rico. Are they part of the United States? Are they not? Are they like a rogue state? Well, is that maybe perhaps something like the SSPX? You know, a lot of people think on paper it's part of the U.S., but there's some things that make it a bit more independent or distinct. And then some people want to kick it out and not have it have anything to do with the U.S. or the church. Um, so maybe there's a funny little analogy you can make there. Uh, and especially considering how it's so small and not really a major player in regards to everything going on in the rest of the states, but some people make a big, huge, giant deal out of it um, when maybe they don't need to and they should focus on the disasters going on in the other states. And then there's the element of elitism of states. So if I were to say, well, everyone needs to live in Alaska, everyone needs to understand the Alaskan mindset on the Kabbalah that you can find in JFK assassination, um, all of the weird symbolism of 9-11, you have to understand every single element of Jewish infiltration, the plot against the church. You have to understand the French Revolution, Barwell's memoirs, all these things. If I was saying everybody's going to move to Alaska and reside here, otherwise you're screwed, that's absurd. And in fact, it's completely delusional and narcissistic. And I find that that's sort of the pseudo-Gnostic mindset that happens amongst traditional Catholic truthers um, in the alt-media. Uh, and especially, unfortunately, in a lot of the Sedevacantist circles. And I'm not going to make some big comment on Sedevacantism. I don't want to be like a huge jerk about it like some people do and they act like they're just... You know, honestly, some people treat Sedevacantism like they're the the pagan filth that the the pharisees didn't want to touch I'm not saying that legitimizes the positions or anything like that but people become uncharitable towards them and stop thinking of them as people often um even though you do see a certain amount of that coming from the set of a contest culture so there's a difference between the general culture that something breeds and then individuals within it that either succumb to that and become the stereotype or you have to be able to admit, hey, this dude doesn't fit the stereotype, and I'm thankful for that. Even if this guy's a set of a contest and I think that there's dangers with that, they're able to be respectful and we can talk about it and not end up in a state of enmity. And that's why I like the channel Reason and Theology. They do a great job of keeping the peace while understanding there's free will and not everyone's going to always choose the position that you're promoting or whatever, even if you think it's to their detriment, whether temporally or eternally. It's still that basic foundation of the focus on charity, as Paul said. 
in the Corinthians quote that we read in the first hour. And then maybe there's some states that, you know, Jewish power affects more or people are more akin to it. The state of Indiana, perhaps, with E. Michael Jones. Um, but not everybody needs to live in Indiana, right? Does everybody need to be J-pilled on any of the Jewish shenanigans that are involved in the New World Order, despite other factions being involved and, you know, obviously having a relationship with them, but, you know, Masonry and Protestantism, like, and whatever else, what other groups there are, um, you know, it doesn't mean that if you don't only focus on Judaism, somehow you're this filth that can't be touched. You're not, you know, a real Catholic or whatever. But I would say this. If somebody isn't out there talking about the Jewish question, um, say like a Matt Frad or somebody like that, or even like somebody like Taylor Marshall, um, as long as they're not attacking people who are talking about it, to me, that's a good thing. They're going to affect the people that don't need all of that stuff that might be true. And it might be something that's at the heart of, of what's going on. But is that necessary for quote unquote salvation and being in the borders of America when it's all said and done at the end of your life? I'd say absolutely not. But for people who will attack somebody like you, Michael Jones, and, and not just an attack, like an occasional jab once a month, I can understand that. But when it's like you are just throwing haymakers all the time and trying to get other people to throw haymakers, that's when it becomes a problem. And that's what I would suggest that maybe you're bordering, uh, teetering on the border of Mexico or Canada, and you actually think you're still in the same state, but you've went out into the wilderness and... Like we talked about perception, the SJWs, or they see the same events that we see, but they perceive in them a different way. So if someone perceives that they're still in, you know, the state of whatever, California, but they're actually in Mexico, that's a problem. So this kind of works with a lot of different analogies here. And you could say that people who aren't in the church in an objective manner sometimes they seem to reside in the States in the United States more often than not. They seem to be there a lot. Right. So it's like, Oh, I might live in Mexico, but I'm crossing the border every day. I'm hanging out in the U S I'm getting along great there. They're obeying the morality, whatever. A lot of things that are Catholic, but they still reside in Mexico or Canada, right? They're still close, but they don't see any difference sometimes between Mexico and Canada or the U S well, it's all just a, a big, you know, happy North American union. And maybe in Mexico, they reside in a city that's actually very much like the order or morality of, you know, within the Catholic church, but they don't see that the rest of Mexico is just a giant Ouroboros. Uh, well, I won't say the word crap show. <laughs> and so they say, well, this is just as equal because my subjective faction still adheres to all these other things that you do in the United States. There's another analogy you could draw. Now, here's the catch. Does God allow satanic forces into the United States and to be there for a time and try to make it seem like the U.S. 
is not what it actually is. Seem like the Catholic Church is not what it actually is. And it fools a lot of people into leaving the U.S. because of all that destruction that is temporary um, or infiltrated and allowed to, you know, run amok for a time or just run amok in a couple key cities and then people think that it's everywhere all over the place, right? Uh, that could be akin to a lot of the pedophilia scandals. Are there certain dioceses or places that that happens? I don't want to say pedophilia per se because that's much lesser amount uh, you know, sex abuse, right? So are they trying to make it seem like, oh, these towns where this is going on all over the place, well, that's going on in every single town, and that's proving that this is a horrible country and it's it's not of God. We need to get out. And some people even get out by crossing the ocean into, you know, Japan or China or India, right? <laughs> they go that far. Um, and it just shows you how much that evil corruption that is allowed to take place can do that. Or people just jump into Mexico or whatever, right? And so there's all these different analogies you can make, at least from the Catholic perspective. And again, if people aren't part of that mindset, they might get pissy about this or that. But this is just the objective data about how you would view these things plugged into this analogy. Just letting it be what it is and you can, again, do what you wilt with it. And then maybe there is a connecting bridge in Alaska um, that goes over to Russia, where there's Orthodox. And America is trying to get Russia to come in to the United States and be part of it because it's supposed to be there. Uh, but Russia doesn't want to. Or Russia says, well, the United States is supposed to come into Russia um, and we're supposed to be the ones in charge, right? So this is kind of like the issues of the East and West. Um, I'm not saying Alaska is technically the only bridge, but it just in the analogy, because of the esoteric analogy I already applied to it, but I'm saying that there's a short bridge there and it's small and maybe only a few people can cross back and forth and some people trying to uh, are, are trying to make that bridge not happen. Um, and then some people are trying to repair the bridge, but they don't have the proper authority or right knowledge, and they bring it to a level that it shouldn't be. There's a lot of things that can go right or wrong with that. But for me personally, with the lay folk, I think that channels like Reason and Theology are making that bridge much more possible. Uh, not just with Eastern Orthodox and Roman Catholic, but all these other viewpoints. So I can't recommend that highly enough, and I'm not shilling for it. I don't have any association with it at the moment. Um, I just think that it's a fantastic channel for all this stuff. But there's a predominance of it that's not going to be tied to the material in Alaska, but it's going to be useful for the people who reside in Alaska. Um, so back to the Alaska analogy. This is the way I view it now. I feel like I have a second home in Alaska. I don't want to reside there, but when I'm there, I'm comfortable. I'm kind of built for it. I can deal with all of the harsh coldness of it and, and the stuff that leads a lot of other people to despair and depression, but I can deal with it. And in some weird way, it can also invigorate me. You get hit with that buzz of cold and it invigorates you and you go and you do stuff, right? So I go and I research this and that, and it's, it's interesting. And I'm usually able to not let it bring me down. The thing that brings me down is dealing with other people in that and seeing the behavior and the horrible treatment of others that comes 
with the alternative media that's tied to discussing these things. That's actually the part of Alaska that is the problem. I like the landscape and the wilderness, but sometimes the people can really bother me. Sometimes there's certain people I really love, and then sometimes just, man, I'd love to just be living in Anchorage here, but, uh, you know, and I like going off into the wilderness around it, but when I have to actually be out at the bar, it can be trying sometimes uh, because of the, uh, you know, elitism can happen in Alaska in the Alaskan mindset. And I think some of that elitism comes because you're so withdrawn from the rest of the country that you don't understand how other people live. And so if you try to say, well, you need to understand Jewish power, you need to understand Freemasonry and the French revolution, blah, 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 blah. You're really actually only hurting things. Um, And sometimes that battling will drive people who would normally I've already been residing in the U.S. or the church, the United Church of America, the Catholic version. Again, we're LARPing here. That might actually drive them out because if you can convince them that that Alaska is what they need to view as real Catholicism, even if they're already in it, you've actually driven them out. Um, so just because you say true things and know a lot of deeper true things... Does that, is it a good thing? Is it the truth that it's actually a good thing to know those things? And that's the problem. And that's what I don't want to enable anymore by having all this stuff being more public because most people aren't going to reside in Alaska and don't need that. Um, and I think a lot of people who get into the occultism just, you know, it's going to cause a lot of things that are going to be much more problematic. Um, and so, you know, I, I have a sense of accountability and responsibility in that, but I'm trying to make some sort of amends for it moving forward and support the people who can reside in Alaska can be there, but they're going to be doing much greater work touring around the rest of the country. Certain States, they might not be accepted in as much, but they're going to be accepted in a lot more than others. Um, again, supporting people, like I said, Mediatrics press, people like Tim Flanders, um, you know, the ones that I'm doing some book narrations for at the moment. Um, and we'll probably be doing a lot more with, with uh, Mediatrix Press in particular. So there you go. That's part of my new venture is, is dealing with some of those circles. And I think that as I get more into doing the audio narrations, it might branch out into more of those people. I don't know. I can't say for sure. Maybe once I do the initial works, they won't like it and they're going to not want to do more. Hopefully that won't be the case, but as far as things are going now, uh, you know, it should be all right. But I can't support that work and also be out there promoting it while also having all of the Alaska stuff being tied to that. Um, so that's another personal matter in all of this where I don't think it's a greater good that all these things be much more public, especially if I'm going to try to get people in my personal life that will not want to touch Alaska or maybe don't even know that I'm in Alaska ever. <laughs> They're not going to understand it. Um, and I've tried to explain Alaska to some people before, and it has not gone well. Uh, so <laughs> uh, is it a greater good that for all the people in my personal life, in the state I reside in, which is not Alaska, even though I can be comfortable there, even though I can visit often, it's not ultimately the state I reside in. And I need to have more of a duty to the state that I reside in. Uh, at this point right now, I'll just take the analogy. It's, it's, it's Vermont in, in, in literal terms. 
And I can't try to bring Alaska to Vermont. If I find somebody who's comfortable with Alaska in Vermont, that's great, but it's very rare. So I need to look at it in the spiritual climate and what's the greater good and still be able to be in Alaska and hang out with the people there that I vibe with there and the people that want to go there in the future and feel more inclined there. There's stuff there that they can they can have as a resource that might be helpful for them. But I don't want to try to export Alaska to the rest of the United States uh, or the Catholic Church or people who might potentially reside there or eventually reside there. And I don't want to have a webcam on Alaska that allows people to peer in at any time because I think that might also be to the detriment uh, of people <laughs> maybe wanting to flee or trying to act like Alaska is not part of the United States and attacking it. That would be another issue. So I'm trying to prevent my own accountability and a lot of these things I can foresee as being problems because I know the reality of the situation in the states and people's affinities for them and how some people also, another analogy I think is good, some people are born designed to just live in one state. They don't need to go in other states because they might actually start fights with other states. And then those fights might lead people to flee those states and then get outside the borders of the church. Right. So you want to keep that contained and the people that are designed to travel and be able to have a certain amount of Venusian diplomacy being in other states and understand them, even if they don't really feel comfortable there, they can at least have the tact to deal with the people there without causing problems. Right. And this is the problem with globalization and the American culture. Where it's like, oh, go across country, you know, oh, you know, my my kids are going to go to college, go wherever you want, explore. Well, is that the worst thing ever? Because people are going to be much more open to the wolves and out of their natural habitat that they were built for. And what you know, what I mean by built for is like what God has inclined you towards. And you also need to be honest about that, too. And Sometimes I, I even today I discover more about what I'm built for and what I'm not. And it's kind of fascinating that you were working against that for so much of your life. And so I'm trying to get in tune with those things in a better way. And I think that I'm much more built for a supportive role behind the scenes, supporting people who are going to be better at being out and all these different groups. Me, I can go on a couple different podcasts and channels that can talk about the Alaska type topics. Even if they don't like Alaska, if they don't want to reside there, there's enough things about it that they find interesting. Even if they're, let's say they're in Canada outside the borders of Alaska, and they don't like something about Anchorage, which is where they'd have to live, but they respect this or that. So that's me being able to go out and talk on the truther channels and whatever. But there's such a minority of those types of people, even outside the U.S. and any other uh, country, that that's going to be useful for. So I hope that this analogy uh, helped explain things a little bit better and more clearly to people who, you know, might be a little bit confused about their fascinations with all this esoteric stuff and what it really means and what's actually good for them versus what is a temptation that leads us to the vice of curiosity. So I guess we'll wrap it up on this. I want to create a community within Alaska or Anchorage, if you will, uh, maybe a, a certain section that people can go to and they can have protection from the elitism of other areas of Alaska, you know, in the forum and whatever. And that, you know, we understand that we all 
have that penchant and inclination to having that sort of superiority over the exoteric world in the other states. It's it's ingrained. It's just a natural thing. But can we contain that chaos and restrict it to venial sins rather than mortal ones? Uh, again, I'll, I'll use that in a broad sense, uh, in, the, in an archetypal sense. Um, so that's what I'm trying to provide with the website. And, uh, you know, I'll be there. I'll be present in it uh, as much as people are present there. Um, and we'll see what happens. And I'll continue to try to provide that little refuge <laughs> in Anchorage. Uh, depends on how many people want to come there. And we can expand it if necessary. There's plenty of wilderness to expand into. But to expand into the wilderness in that area takes a lot of work and resources. Um, so I will dictate what organically comes to me everyone knows my plan everybody who's a subscriber who's made it to the end of this understands that and if people want to be part of that and support it they can i'm thankful for it but i don't necessarily need to have my vacation home in alaska and i don't necessarily need to spend half my year there i can if people if it's part of the spiritual climate and what's important then I can, but if not, I can slowly pack my stuff and start moving <laughs> all of it into Vermont and, and hide things in a, a storage house in Alaska when I need to go and get it. Um, and hopefully that will allow me to be in other states if I need to be, uh, if it's called upon me, uh, or again, spend most of my time supporting the people that can go there and affect a wider variety of people. And, uh, you know, keep this uh, traditional Catholic revival in that sense of having a balance of, yep, Novus Ordo is valid, but there's a lot of problems with it. Traditional Latin Mass is what's promoted, but if people don't go to that, we're not going to get pharisaical about it. We just think that that is going to be the best place for people in the end. Uh, and understanding that there's issues with Judaism, Freemasonry, and Protestantism, but not being uncharitable about it, not being pharisaical about it, um, not understanding the people in those mindsets that we disagree with uh, and their positions, um, you know, having the nice and correct balance and restricting things to venial sins as much as possible. And when mortal sins happen, we confess them and admit them and try to move on and not do them again. That's the kind of thing I want to be part of, and I want to try to make that basic culture in Alaska for the people who like the topics and the culture and the, the scenery of Alaska and can handle it without becoming cold and hostile and depressed and wanting to withdraw from all of their duties that they might have that they are tied to in other states uh, that they reside in. So hopefully that was useful. Thanks, everybody, for supporting and listening. And um, like I said... After about a month or so, the foundations of all this stuff and the, the the new transmutation of the site should be complete, and I should be able to get back to making content more regularly. The Catholic Alchemist should be wrapping up. I'll still try to do the Day of Rest because that's my own personal study and understanding Bible stuff, so that will help me moving forward, and then anybody can share in that if they like, whether they're on the initiate or a debt plan. And if people want the Barwell memoir stuff, I'm going to keep doing that. I'm going to try to move forward and be a little bit more uh, clear and concise about it. Try not to reflect back on other peripheral research so much. Be more to the point. 
and try to move things a little bit more quickly. I still want to create the same amount of in-depth of going through it, but I want to try to move through it a little bit quickly and, and go into less tangents. And the tangents can be reserved for off-the-cuff podcasts where I can just speak my mind, but try to keep it a little bit more focused and con- concise and relevant uh, moving forward in the lengthier series. And then the podcast analysis of books will kind of continue to be what it is. And I'll do my best to try to, you know, uh, space those things out better and add extra episodes rather than make super long two hour second hours. And that way the paid people benefit from that format. Um, yeah, even though that the general content won't be coming as uh, productively as it had been. So that's it. Thanks everybody. Any questions, feel free to reach out and maybe we'll see you in Alaska, uh, whether it's the initiate or adept version. And as long as you're behaving yourself in there and not succumbing to the uh, temptations that Alaska can easily lead one into, then um, you'll always be welcome there as long as that little uh, subsection of Anchorage continues to exist. Uh, We'll see you there. 